morning, everyone, and good morning to those of you who are watching online. We haven't greeted you yet. Thank you for joining us. Glad that you can be here with us uh, in this way. I don't know if you heard about it, but this past week we had an election in this province. By now you all know the results, and people have responded in a variety of ways to the results of this election. Some are happy, some are cautiously optimistic, some are generally pessimistic, and some think we have reached the end of the world. In fact, on Tuesday, I noticed a, a hashtag trending on Twitter that said, move to BC, move to BC. And people who were upset with the results of the election are talking about moving to BC because of what's happened. And then I've seen others proclaim Alberta has been saved. So you have different responses to the same event. And, and this happens all the time in our world and in our lives. Say there's a weather forecast for rain. So how do we respond to that? Well, if we have a day plan with our family to go out and enjoy the outside together and we hear about rain, it's like, oh. But if you're a farmer and you need uh, moisture for your crops or if you've been living near a region where there is wildfires, you, you rejoice at the forecast of rain. Or, or say you watch a movie with some friends and then after the movie, people have different responses to it. Some say, oh, that was great. And some say, I didn't like it at all. So the same event, the same thing can bring different responses. And this reality applies also to God and his word. People have different responses to the Bible. I heard someone today or this past week talk about the Bible as hate speech. So some think it's, it's horrible. And some have certainly used the Bible for horrible things, like to justify racism or racial superiority or slavery or suppression of women and all of that. And then there may be parts of the Bible that we don't like because we um, push back into it our 21st century expectations and beliefs and practices but the same Bible produces different responses. And today I'd like to start with a question for you to ponder in your own heart and soul. And the question is this, how much authority do you give the Bible and, and God himself over your life? And say there's a scale from zero to ten, and zero means that you don't see the Bible as, as anything special. It's just another ancient book uh, written by human authors, so it's people's opinion, so it has no special authority. And if, say, 10 is, is you see the Bible as completely God's word, absolutely trustworthy, uh, has authority over my life, it speaks God's word to me. So on a scale of zero, 0 to 10, between those two, where would you put yourself? On your level of confidence and trust in the Bible, as God's word and having authority in your life. And 
Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share your number or take notes on your number. So don't worry about that. This is between you and God. And whatever number you gave yourself may also reveal how you kind of feel about the Bible and how you feel about God. So if you're in the zero to three range, it's unlikely you trust the Bible or think it has any authority over your lives. And if, if you're in the four to six range, you might think there's some value in the Bible, but a lot of it can be tossed or, or just ignored because it doesn't apply to our world today. And if you're somewhere between seven and ten, you likely value the Bible. You see God speaking through it. You see that there's authority there that you have to submit to as a child of God. And I ask this because today's Bible passage raises the issue of different responses to God's Word. And I think the passage makes the following claim. Our response to God's Word can bring blessing or disaster into our lives. Okay? Our response to God's Word can bring blessing or disaster into our lives. And that's from God, blessing or disaster. And today we're going to look at three responses to God's Word. Three responses to God's Word. And each one of those responses brings either blessing or either disaster into our lives. And two of those responses are going to be very obvious what they bring, but one contains the surprise of this passage. So that's what we're going to be looking for. And I, my hope today is that God, by his spirit and his word, will speak to you what he wants you to hear and respond to today. So thinking about how we're going to respond to God and his word. So please find James 1 in the Bibles, in your Bibles or on your devices or in the Bibles in front of you. It's on page 855. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 to 27. I'd invite you today to watch for or listen for the words deceit and the words word or the word word. So watch for deceit and word as we look at James 1, verses 16 to 27. So James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So last week we looked at verses 1 to 12 and we learned about enduring trials in a way that gives glory to God and also opens our lives up to receiving God's good for us through them. And then in verse 12, James pronounces this blessing on those who remain steadfast or persevere through trials. And then in verses 13 to 15, he talks about temptation. And temptation is probably related to trials in a way because temptations are a trial. They are a, 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 a struggle that we go through. But James clarifies that when we experience temptation, it doesn't come from God. God is not the author of temptation. Our temptations happen when temptation appeals to our own evil desires. Because when we go through trials, we can sometimes blame God, or we might even conclude, God himself is tempting me. But James corrects that in verses 13 to 15. And then we come to verse 16, where he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters, and I think the flow of thought here is don't be deceived into thinking that God is the source of your temptation. The reality is verse 17, God brings good and perfect gifts into your life. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every good gift we have ever received in our lives ultimately comes from God. And if we grasp this, it can change our view of God if we're leaning towards seeing God as someone who's out to get us, someone who's out to spoil our fun, someone who's out to restrict and control us because he's some dictator. He loves us. And he is the giver of every good and perfect gift we've ever received in our lives. And then in verse 18, we find James' version of the gospel. So remember last week, we noted James assumes the gospel. There's no cross, there's no blood, there's no call to receive Christ as Savior and Lord within James. But James 18, or 1 verse 18 is James' description of the gospel. Of his own will, it says, he the Father brought us forth by the word of truth. And I agree with those who say the word of the truth is the gospel. The good news that God has sent his son, Jesus, to redeem the world, to bring his kingdom into the world, to save us from our sins. So the phrase brought us forth or give us birth or chose to make us his own children is new life language. And God the Father brought us into this new life as his children by the word of the truth, by the gospel that came into our lives. And this aligns with the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 1.16 where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now James doesn't use the word salvation, but he uses new life language and first fruit language, salvation language. So with the warning to watch out for deception. And the assurance that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And the reality that God gave us new life as his children, we come to verse 19. 
Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And that pattern of those three short commands goes completely against the tone of dialogue in our culture today and the way we naturally respond when things go wrong in our lives, if we give in to our sinful nature. When something goes wrong, we can naturally be quick to anger, which results in quick speaking and harsh words while being slow to listen. But James says, be quick to hear or listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sudden anger can lead to harsh words that can do significant damage. And such a response to life does not align with the righteous life that God desires. So hasty, uncontrolled anger is sin. It violates the standard of conduct that God demands of his people. And then notice verse 21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The NIV says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil which is so prevalent. The New Living Translation says, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And the word phrase translated to put away or get rid of is often used to describe the putting off of one set of clothes to put on a different set of clothes. And the New Testament image is that we put off that which is part of our pre-conversion life and put on our new life in, in Christ, the new ways of Christ. The word filthy or filthiness is a picture of someone wearing filthy clothes. But the deeper meaning is moral defilement or spiritual stains on our soul. And wickedness refers to evil character. And then rampant wickedness or excess or an abundance refers to the overabundance of filthiness and wickedness in our lives. Now that's like pretty strong language, eh? And, and if we looked at that, we'd probably say, you know, wow, yeah, that, that certainly applies to, uh, you know, the worst criminals, to like serial killers and all that stuff, but like ordinary, ordinary Christians? Like, are, are you serious? James are... But maybe our discomfort with these descriptions might indicate our increasing comfort with sin and that which defiles our soul. And we're offended when James brings this kind of stuff up. And James says we need to intentionally put that stuff off or put it away from our lives. Instead, at the end of verse 21, receive with meekness or humility the implanted word. There's word again word the implanted word which is able to save your souls so it's like we need something external to come in and cleanse us we need this word to save our souls and we receive such a word with meekness with humility and that doesn't mean be a doormat or practice a wimpy submissiveness to whatever comes along it's a willingness to be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry and to receive the word that God has us. And this implanted word is God's word that takes up residence within us. And to receive this word will mean to 
take it in to the point that it begins to affect the way that we live and replace these evil desires that lead us to filthiness and wickedness. Now, all of this leads up to what I think is the central verse of this passage. Chapter 1, verse 22. And here we will talk about the possible responses to God's word. James 1:22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So, in the flow of thought, he's just talked about the implanted word, but even though you might humbly receive the implanted word, make sure that you do it or act on it, because if you only hear it and don't do anything with it, you deceive yourselves. So let's talk about three possible responses to God's word. Response number one is not hearing God's word, not hearing God's word, refusing to hear God's word, not listening to God's word. And if you put yourself on the scale earlier uh, of, a, of a zero to a three, this kind of might describe you. You're not really interested in God's word. You may not believe in God. You may not like much of what the Bible has to say. And if this is you and you've identified that about yourself, you're being honest with yourself. And I commend you for that. Because the only way we deal with where we're at is to define reality. Where are we? And if, if you're a zero to three, you're not interested in hearing God's word, most likely. And then I'm going to give you response number three next. Not two, three is hearing and doing God's word. And this would describe people who may have put themselves in the seven to ten range earlier. You believe the Bible is God's word. You believe that when God speaks, we need to listen and we need to take it to heart so much to the point that we're actually going to act on what the word says. And that's what James commands in James 1.22. And then response number two is hearing God's word. So hearing God's word is response number two. Now remember, the, the main idea... I said earlier, I think of this passage is our response to God's word can lead to blessing or disaster in our lives. Now, if you look at those three responses and you had to label which ones lead to blessing from God and which ones have the potential to lead to disaster, what would your answer be? And from God's perspective, probably number one would lead to disaster in that Refusing to hear God's word cuts us off from God's wisdom, truth, guidance, and love, and salvation. And so from a spiritual perspective, from God's perspective, uh, response one would lead to disaster. Response three would lead to blessing, hearing and doing God's word. But what about response number two? Hearing God's word. Wouldn't we say that leads to blessing? Like you got to hear God's word before you can do it, and yes, you do. Yes, we do. But look again at verse 22 to see what happens if we don't do God's word, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, the NIV says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The New Living says, and remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. And if you don't obey, you are only fooling yourself. So if we hear God's word and we don't do what it says, we're somehow deceiving ourselves. 
And remember the command back in verse 16, do not be, de- do not be deceived. To deceive means to mislead by a false appearance or statement. So if we hear or listen to God's word and don't do what it says, we are misleading ourselves by a false appearance or statement. Well, well, how could that be? And James gives us an example in verses 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. So this brings up the question, a couple questions, why do we look into mirrors? Why do we look at a mirror? Well, we basically look to see ourselves, to see how we look, and to see if there are any, is the, if there's any repair needed to what we see. So we see, oh, how, how am I looking? And oh, what do I have to do to prepare myself to go out? So that's, that's one reality. Think about why do we have mirrors? We look... We have them to look at ourselves and then to correct and and see how we're looking, uh, if there's anything to correct. And and a second fact to consider is our mirrors reflect our image perfectly. So we can clearly see what we look like when we look in our mirrors. But the ancient mirrors were not nearly the quality of our modern-day mirrors. They were made of polished bronze or copper, and they produced a dim or warped reflection. So you can simply glance at an ancient mirror and see what you looked like. You had to stare for a while to get a clearer picture of what was really there. Oh, I have dirt on my forehead. My eyebrows are getting out of control. My beard, my hair. I need, I need work. I need some things that need to be corrected. Or there's maybe a blemish on your face and, okay, I got to deal with that. So with that in mind, the, why we look at mirrors And the kind of mirror that they were looking at, hear verse 23 again. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. So this person is looking at one of those bronze or copper images, warped, somewhat distorted, but looking intently enough so that they can see what they look like. Spending time to do that. And they note, you know, oh, there's... Oh, there's a blemish there. There's some work that needs to be done. And then verse 24. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So they looked intently at their face in the mirror. They saw the blemishes or whatever needed attention. Then they look away and they forget it. Almost as if there weren't any blemishes. But there were blemishes. They just saw them. But they choose to live as if there aren't any blemishes. And to deceive is to mislead by a false appearance or statement. And maybe the false statement is, I don't have any blemishes or anything on my face that needs correction. Even though deep down, we just saw it. That's self-deception. It means to live as if something isn't true, even though deep down we know that it is. And think about what that means for people who hear God's word but don't do anything 
in response to it. James says we deceive ourselves when we do that. And maybe the self-deception goes something like this. I heard God's word today. I listened to it. I gave my time. So I'm good with God. God should be pleased. I set aside some time and I went to listen to God's word. And if we listen to God's word and it speaks to us about something we need to do and we don't do it, we deceive ourselves. And, and individuals can do this. Churches can do this. Where all we do with God's word is we read it, we listen to it, we debate it, we come up with our the- theology, but we don't do it. We just look at it and le- read it and listen to it. But doers of the word actually act on what they have heard. And in these last three verses, James gives examples of doers of the word and one example of a hearer of the word who doesn't do or act. So verse 25 describes a doer. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So there we have word again. This person looks intently into the perfect law, like the person was looking intently into the mirror. But they look long enough to understand it. They persevere, he says, and then they obey it. And that's a doer of the word. But then verse 26 describes only a hearer of the word. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, so there's deceives again, deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Verse 26 hurts in that it touches unacceptable suburban middle-class sin. So we in the middle class, or whatever class we're in, we don't, we don't do murder, we don't do carjacking, we don't do kidnapping, stealing, we're not drug dealers for the most part. Oh, yeah, yeah, we don't do those sins. But, but gossip? What's the big deal? We're just a little bit of information, you know, that's interesting about other people, and What's the big deal about tearing down someone behind their back? It's just information. We needed to pray for the person. Except we don't call it gossip or slander. But if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, like that means to control it, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And if we think that Acceptable, middle-class sins like gossip, greed, slander, and lying are no big deal. We're deceiving ourselves. And he concludes with verse 27 and gives a couple of examples of doers. So religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. One, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. And two, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So visiting orphans and widows did not mean oh, let's go visit them and have tea together. It was visiting for the sake of empathy and help. And in that society, orphans and widows were the most vulnerable, vulnerable people. They couldn't even give you a tea. You went to help them. And we must have a heart 
for the vulnerable and the oppressed that acts on the heart. That's hearing and doing the word. But doing also, doing also involves resisting the stain of the world. And the world here doesn't mean planet Earth. It means the world in the sense of its systems, beliefs, and powers opposed to God and overseen by the devil. So we engage in the work of keeping ourselves unstained from that. If, we, if we're doing that, if we're working in that, we are not only hearing the word, we're doing it. So we start with this claim, our response to God's word can lead to blessing or disaster in our lives. If we by, respond by hearing and doing, it will lead to blessing from God. If we respond by hearing and not doing, it can lead to disaster because it's self-deception and it leads us away from God and it is leading and has led many churchgoers to hell. And the devil loves it when people in church only hear God's word and do not do it. What a brilliant deception. I went to church and I heard God's word and I'm good with God. So do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. So how might we become hearers and doers of the word? Well, remember, we talked about this last week in James. And we just mentioned it earlier. James does not include this account of the gospel. And we can misread James to conclude its basic message is, well, here's a bunch of commands and go out and try really hard to do these commands all in your own strength. And the really self-disciplined and, 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 and the people that keep at it, they're going to do it and the rest of you are going to fail. No. That is moralism. Trying to be a good moral person in our own strength. And anyone who thinks that they can be a good moral person to the point of God accepting them needs to be reminded that God demands that we keep his law entirely and perfectly. Perfect obedience. None of us can do that. Every person in this room, every person watching online has at least once heard or read God's command and not done it or obeyed. We've chosen to ignore. We may have chosen to go ahead anyway. We may have minimized God's word so we could do what we want. None of us have kept God's law perfectly. We can't do this on our own. But what did Jesus do? He lived his life and never sinned. 1 Peter, 1, or 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 1 John 3, 5. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned. He perfectly fulfilled all of God's holy word. So the good news in all of this is first, that Jesus perfectly kept the law and was a sinless sacrifice for us. 
Second, that he paid for our sin for those times when we heard God's word and we did not do it. And third, that he can empower us to obey. He changes our hearts. He changes our desires. He grows us to be more and more like himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't be hearers and doers of the word perfectly in our own strength. But Jesus was. And when we trust and depend on him, we can receive power to hear and do his word. And so to close today, I want to invite you to think about that number that you gave yourself earlier, about your level of trust in God's word, God and his word. And I, not, I don't want you to only think about it. I'd like you to bring that number to God and say, God, this is what came out. This is where I, I'm, I'm really at with you and with your word. And I need you to help me. And, and for some of you, you need to tell this to someone else. Because it might not be enough. I mean, God is sufficient in himself, but God might be calling you to tell someone else so you can actually deal with what you really don't believe or struggle with about the Bible or about God and his word. And if you, don't, if you have a friend that you can trust with this, talk to them. And, and, and Christian, if, if someone comes to you and says, you know, I was a zero to three, please don't condemn them. Please don't get angry with them. Say, okay, oh, okay, thanks for being honest with me. Let's talk about your doubts. Because we have to be a place where we can be honest about, about that. We have to be a people where we can be honest about this. And if you don't have anyone to talk to about this, will you please let me know? And I will keep it in confidence. And I would love to connect you with myself or with someone to talk more about your doubts or your struggles with God and his word. But whatever number you shared with God, I invite you to share it with him. Or you came up, you, you labeled yourself earlier, share it with him and then ask for his help. And collectively, we as a people need to keep asking God to empower us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers who obey. And so let's come to God right now, and I want to invite you to lift up that number that you gave yourself to God and just share that with God right now. And, and then I want to invite you to ask God for help. And, and he will see whatever help you need. Might it, it might be addressing maybe your doubts or your struggles. It might be help in being a doer. Maybe he's bringing up to you right now something in your life where he has commanded and you have not done. You have not obeyed. And, and maybe you need to ask for help in that now and we come to you oh god and we sing about your holiness today and and we we celebrate that but we're a little bit 
fearful of it too because we don't know how to relate to someone who's absolutely holy. And yet you have made a way through Christ. And Jesus, you came down into the filth and wickedness of this world and you remain sin-free. Living a perfectly righteous life, enduring temptation and struggle and trial. And, and we praise you for that, Lord. And then we need you, Lord, to be doers of the word. And so we ask for your power, your spirit's power to empower us to obey, to be true, to live according to your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for providing this for us. We praise you for who you are and for what you have done. We give glory to your name.